Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. Let's look back now and kind of decide if we're saying what you did right that set you off on the path towards getting an employment that you could be excited about and would pay you big dividends, which was following a passion of Club Med. You know, people can have passions of to do something or to be something might want to have been, you know, an Olympic archer, who knows, you know, Olympic, <laughs> an Olympic something. But you didn't have what you wanted. You were attracted to a company and a vision and something you saw that you didn't know what it was, but you you liked it. And you said, I got to go. That's my North Star for the moment. Mm -hmm. And so you went and you what I hear is you approach them directly and you went in with how can I help you? You didn't go in and say, hey, I'm a young girl. I this, I that, I've been this, I've done that. I, 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 I. you didn't go with that. It was like, what do you need the most? You you had yourself mentally organized to where you're not going to get a lot of these people's time anyway, but mm -hmm. you had yourself mentally organized to where you could ask a question that would ring their bell and give you a direction on something you could do rather than I need a job. I want to go there. It's been my dream. And I was like, you know, no, you went in there to fill a need for them and find their pain point there. If you want to use those words. Absolutely. And uh, so you put yourself in a position that be successful because you were talking to them about solving a problem for them. And uh, well how, how can I do that? And so to me, that was, paid huge dividends because that benefit rippled out for several years, you know, and put you on a mm -hmm. pattern there. But the other thing you did was when they gave you the idea, the answer that you did not expect, you said, well, I need to have a skill I don't have, and I'm going to get it. And I'm going to find out how you get it, you know, and uh, you looked up archery club and you didn't give up when you were it was not a female oriented environment. And so, and then you, when you got there, you didn't just like, give me the basics, blah, 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 and call them up. No, you went and you excelled at it. You know, you got up. And so these are kind of things that probably we're going to see play out in all of these other things you did in your life. But the pattern, you know, you're setting patterns early in your life mm -hmm. that are either patterns for winning or patterns for being mediocre. And most people, you know, work at all, they're not going to be failures, but they're going to be, they're not going to put in the extra effort that will cause them to rise above, you know, that type mm -hmm. of thing. And yeah. so what we're looking for on this call is what are the things you did? Maybe you didn't even think about it, but, oh, I did. <laughs> but it allows you to rise above. And was that clear in your mind at that point? I think it, it's become quite clear now. Now yeah. I'm 51 years old and it's quite clear now. I always think it's easier to connect the dots looking backwards. Right. But I did, so I can say throughout my whole life, I really had high aspirations. I've yeah. always had high aspirations. Again, fertile ground since my childhood. I've been around exciting people. My parents' friends, as I was, when I was a young kid, always were doing cool, exciting, adventurous things. So that helps, you know, and that's, so I, I do have a framework that I've come up with for this high achievement. 
And uh, the first part is is believing in yourself. So you mentioned the word confidence, self-belief, because even if you have to just, I know the fake it till you make it is somewhat contentious as a theory, but I love it. I love it because if you wait to be completely ready, you will never start. Sometimes you have to throw your hat in the ring and then follow along. So self-belief is number one. And then the second thing, as I mentioned, having family and friends who are encouraging and high achievers, that idea that we're the sum of the five people we spend the most time with is so true. It's a Harvard study. 95% of our success or failure in life is who we spend most time with. And then there was another recent study, which I found absolutely mind-blowing. If you sit within a few meters, 10 feet for Americans, if you sit within 10 feet of high achievers every day or regularly, your performance will go up about 11%. And if you sit within a few, yeah, 10 feet of poor performers, this is more compelling. Yes. So like working, you know, if if they're on your team, you're beside high performers, your performance will go up. But if you're sitting regularly close to poor performers, your performance will suffer 30%. Wow. I know. Isn't that what? And this was a big study. This was a huge study across many years and many companies. What it tells me is, you know, who you spend the most time with, it's not neutral. Not only could you not be growing if you're surrounded by poor performers, uh, like or whiners, complainers, blamers, but you're actually worse than you could be. So I say curate your squad carefully. So those years at Club Med, I was around interesting people. I try to get into rooms with people where I'm like the dumbest because yeah. I'm going to be around exciting, yeah. interesting people. And that's going to raise me up. You know, my friends are, are those people. Yeah. And that's really key. Well, you know, and you hear that in, I knew, knew that from sports. I didn't uh-huh. know that, that it applied to the work environment because, you know, you've always heard like, if you uh, play with a better tennis player, you're going to play better. You know, it's just, it elevates being around it. You got that role model in front of you and it elevates whatever degree of ability you have. And uh, it's just uh, interesting to see that that would affect your behavior at work. And, uh, but it's, you know, we all know attitudes. You like to ask Tim Tebow, why are you so always so insanely positive? You know, he said, well, look, he said, I know attitudes contagious. And if I go in there with a bad attitude, that's going to spread. Yep. And if I go in there with a good attitude, that's going to spread. And mm-hmm. so I go in with a good attitude because I don't want to be in a bad attitude environment, you know. And I wanted to bring up something to Ooh. you that it's interesting. We influence our kids and we grow up. This is an extension of that environment. It, and that is that kids who grow up with entrepreneurial parents or high achieving parents they kind of get the sense that it's better to do better in life. You know, that life, there's more benefits to mm-hmm. do the, yep. put the extras in and be a high achiever. They just kind of see all the benefits. It just permeates everything. And you, you naturally understand it. Unfortunately, some people need to have that explained to them. Like the reason you bust your butt <laughs> is not because someone, it's a chore, someone's trying to punish you. It's because it's to elevate yourself. Because once yeah. you make a breakthrough and you move up, there is a layer above. 
and it's going to be worth far more than the price you're paying right now. So get your mind off of that and get your mind on the benefits that are going to come to you from doing that thing. And it's just like, when, it's what this is all about is when I wrote my book, mm-hmm. talking about the people who win regularly. You know, they go from win to win to win, where most people never win. It's how they think, how they approach it. And so mm-hmm. as you go, you go through life, you find out, the sooner you can find out winning is better than losing and (laughs) how you act, how you think, who you have around you has the biggest impact on whether or not you're winning or losing. You can start to make good decisions and better decisions. And again, that's why I'm so happy to have you on because with your lifetime of achievements, you've negotiated those things correctly and you stayed on track and it's not that you've never had bad things happen to you but you know when you do have those things happen you have a pattern and an approach that will cause you to get through it quickly for example you go back and it's like club med is not going to be my life i'm going to go back to now i'm not going to explore that but usually when you leave something like that things start to go wrong they start to you know I'm not saying it happened to you, but usually it's like passed over promotion. They, you're not paying me what I think. I'm not getting the respect. We've got a new boss that's not mm-hmm. like the old boss. Sure. <laughs> and uh, the situation is not the same. I'm not going to take it. So I'm going to move. But for whatever reason, you get back. I'm going to go back to Toronto. And okay. I just think I just think it had to be something pretty substantial for you to go from lovely, warm uh, <laughs> Mexican resort to Toronto. But regardless, when you get up there, you fall into the pattern of, I got to get some good advice. I got to get around. You know, I don't have a lot of the adult contacts in business and things like that. And so I got to find a way to get those. And so you went around and got yourself in front of people that were operating in that world. What was the first person you went to see and first of those networking type things you talked about? Oh, the first, that's it. That, I don't think I can answer that question. I'd love to, but it was 30 years ago. And I don't think I know the first, not 30, 25 years ago. I don't remember the first, but what I I can tell you about this, and I think it's worth saying is when you're networking and when you're looking for any opportunity, don't be too narrow. I'd say cast the net broadly, right? Cast the net widely because you never know what interesting tidbit you might garner from somebody unexpected. So I know I met with people in insurance and a lot of finance guys, again, fine arts. I didn't, I don't have a bone for finance, but I met with a lot of finance guys that I knew, finance women that I knew. And so you never know when you're going to get an opportunity. So don't be closed when you're looking for opportunities, be broad. And interestingly, you know, when you said about Club Med, even though it was all those years ago, still, when someone looks at my CV or looks at my my LinkedIn, or even has a conversation like this, even though it was so many years ago, that is one of the things that people love to ask me about. And I think that that is an important piece of wisdom, especially for young people right now. Do the unusual. If you have a dream that you want to do something after school, after high school, or after university, or take a gap year to do something bold, brave, unusual, cool, courageous, whatever that is in your mind, go for it. My husband climbed to base camp Everest just a couple uh, 10 years ago. Oh. And now it's, and it was almost four weeks. It took, and we had three little kids at home and two dogs. I was on my own at home with them, but he did that. And it was obviously so proud of him. Everybody's so proud of him. But now it's on his LinkedIn banner because a career coach told him, 
all of your career accomplishments, great. But you went to base camp Everest. No one does that. That's yeah. very rare. That yeah. speaks volumes about your character. And that's what people want to work with, right? Is a bold, brave, adventurous character. So a few now, tangents there, but hopefully worth listening to. Now, one thing like that, that you got a uh, idea in your head and you did something with this backpacking trip. Uh, yes. Where were you in your life? How far along were you with the kids and everything in your careers to where you said, I can take the time, I can go do this. I'm going to do it. So very important. Anyone can do this. It's, I mean, yes, I know I'm a fairly privileged Canadian woman, but this is a very achievable thing to do. I remember thinking it a year before we left, this is daunting. No, anything is doable. Just sit down and make a plan. So what had happened was I had a good friend who got very sick. A good girlfriend of mine from my cottage got very sick. She got cancer. She was 40. It's a good news story. She recovered. But during that time, during that struggle, I realized I had one of those moments that we all have. Like, we're all going to die, right? And mortality is <laughs> finite. And uh, I came home from looking after my friend in the hospital. And I came home one day and said to my husband, John, I said, okay, we've had this dream about traveling around the world with the kids. We have to put some action behind this because otherwise it's just words. So like you said, action is the only thing that counts. So good ideas, even great ideas are a dime a dozen, right? You have to have a bias for action to be worth anything. So we spent one year planning okay, for one let's year. Repeat, let's repeat that. You have to have a bias for bias action. for action. That's my huge, that's like one of my pillars to be, of To importance. be worth anything. Let's take a pause. When did that pop out to you? And how often have you used that as a go-to type thing? A bias for action. Oh, I think I was probably a teenager when I started thinking about that. Really? You know? Yeah. I remember the first time. This might seem silly, but when I was in grade nine, I really wanted to be a cheerleader. And I was the youngest kid in my grade. I was the youngest grade niner. And I tried out to be a cheerleader. And I'm pretty tall and I'm athletic. And I didn't make it. I was pretty upset. So again, I trained like crazy. And the next year, not only did I become a cheerleader, I became head cheerleader. Ah. And yeah. So, and then I was head cheerleader through the rest of my high school career. So that's, you know, ding, ding, ding. Okay. Why did that work out for me? Because I took action. I didn't whine, blame, complain. Those are my anti, (laughs) my anti things, whining, blaming, complaining. Yeah, that's it. Right. If, If you want to do something, you really want to do it. You have to take action. Yeah, and if it doesn't work out, it's like get better. And uh, pivot. There's nothing wrong with pivoting. You know, improve, stay on track, do it again. And uh, so let's talk about now, why did it turn into such a crazy thing? You went to five continents. and uh, It's almost like you were on a dead sprint the whole time you were gone, which is (laughs) hard to do with kids and everything. So how did this idea come to you? Did it evolve in the planning stage or... Or did it expand once you got on the road? Well, we had like some mantras. We had some North Stars for the trip. And one of the, a main one was we wanted our kids to see how people really lived around the world. So our kids were all, they were uh, 9, 11, and 12. And so we wanted to travel with small backpacks each. So we each only had a seven kilo backpack, which is like 16 pounds, I'm going to say. So small backpacks. We had very little stuff so that we were agile and we could just throw them in the uh, the top of the airplane. And we wanted our kids to each be able to carry their own backpacks, right? So 
we didn't have to, you know, extra. It was a lot of work. So we didn't want to stay in hotels. So we stayed in 94 different places in that year, Mary, and only three of them were hotels. The rest of them were Airbnbs or Verbos. We stayed in a treehouse. We stayed in huts, you know, hostels. And that's how our kids really saw how people lived. If we weren't staying in hotels in big cities, that's not the experience we were looking for. We were looking for like small Bosnian towns and Croatian farms and Cambodian homestays. So that was a big part of it was to show our kids how people really lived. And we had a small budget. So we did it on about 150 American dollars each day. That was for five of us. That was for our residents, for our food, and for most of our travel. Not our airplanes, but for most of our travel. We were on a tight budget, and that's what made it an adventure. And so when, what was the first thing that went horribly wrong on this trip? (laughs) In Thailand, we were in, uh, we were on the we were you on notice, an island. You notice I didn't ask you, did something horribly wrong? Oh, he just, <laughs> I've written I've written about the horrible yeah. wrong, yeah. but my son Duncan was bit by a dog on Koh Phangan in Thailand. And if you know Thailand, it has a huge problem with rabies. So he was just, he was nicked and it was a puppy. It was a play bite. There was absolutely nothing animos- no animosity, nothing malicious, but we did have to get him rabies shots. So over a month he had to go, we were in Vietnam and Thailand, and he had to have a month's worth of rabies shots. So that wow. was, you know, that counts as horribly wrong. That was pretty bad. There was a lot yeah. of mom guilt there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now yeah. it's funny. Now it's a funny, funny story. Badge of honor. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.